What we've seen so far now in this series of messages on what happens when you die is first, two weeks ago, that when a believer dies, he or she goes immediately to be with Jesus. The body stays in the grave. The soul, the person, goes to be with the Lord. Every believer should be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Secondly, last week we saw that it is not God's intention that that body should be left in the ground, but that there would be a resurrection in the last day at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Our eternal destiny is not what the saints are presently experiencing in heaven today, as good and as better as that is. Our eternal destiny is for the body and the soul renewed, changed, to be reunited and to live, as we will see next week, on a new earth in a new heavens forever and ever with the Lord. Today, the focus is on verse 10 in this text, namely the judgment. Verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I want to make four very simple and I think obvious observations from this verse and then pose a more difficult question, namely, why should Christians be judged if Christ has already been judged for them? Or why should Christians be judged if there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? So you have very plainly here the teaching that there's a judgment coming. And the very essence and heart of our faith is that it's already happened. Here are the four observations. Number one, all Christians will stand before Christ as judge. Notice the words of verse 10. We, not just unbelievers, must all, not just some of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Number two, our judge will be Christ. It's God's judgment. Just as clearly, you have a text that says almost exactly the same words in Romans 14:10. We must all stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us Christians must stand before the judgment seat of God. It's one seat, I believe. God said through Jesus, I have given him authority to execute judgment. So when Jesus is the judge, God is the judge with in, behind, over, around, and through him. It is God's judgment through Jesus' judgment. Observation number three. It happens after you die. Now, that's obvious, I think, but let me put it in a text that, in my heart, has rings that go back 40 years to my father's preaching. And I can remember many times sitting under my father's evangelistic preaching and my father told jokes. I never tell jokes in the pulpit. Never have told one joke. Sometimes you laugh, and that's okay. 
Humor that's spontaneous and real is a glorious thing. I think jokes are not in preaching, but my father tells jokes. I love my father. I think he's a great preacher. But I'll tell you, when my father got serious, I've never known anybody more serious than my father in preaching. And the text that I remember on his lips most often when he got serious in preaching was Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. I used to just shake when my dad said that. Oh, that was a mighty verse when he said that. And it is true. So the point is simply, after you die, you're going to be judged. Point number four. We will be judged according to our deeds. Let's read the verse again. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. Now, that's not an isolated teaching. It's not a lone verse. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 27, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense to every person according to his deeds. Not just one or two, not just unbelievers. Every person will be recompensed according to his deeds. Matthew 16, 27. Or in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 12, the Lord Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly My reward is with me to render to every person according to what he has done. You will be judged according to your life, your lived out Monday through Saturday life, not just your attendance in church. Those are the four observations. Now the question that's much more difficult. Why are those deeds so important? Why? Are deeds done in the body crucial in the courtroom of heaven after you die? Is the aim of judgment the public demonstration and declaration of those who will be saved according to their deeds? Or is the judgment a demonstration and a declaration of the relative measure of reward that each is to receive according to their deeds. Now, my answer to that question is both. Our deeds will reveal and be the test of who enters heaven and the kingdom, and our deeds will be the measure of the reward that you get in heaven. Now, before I show you why I believe that both of those are the meaning of the resurrection from Scripture, let me raise a problem that thoughtful Christians often raise, namely, 
Is that compatible with salvation by grace through faith? To say that your deeds will be laid on the bench in the courtroom of heaven with Christ sitting as judge, and those deeds will be the evidence which determines whether you go to heaven or to hell. Is that compatible with saying Ephesians 2, 8? By grace are you saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So salvation, according to Ephesians 2.8, is by grace, through faith, not of works. And so I want to affirm very clearly that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace gives salvation. You cannot earn it by anything you do. It is not earned. It is a gift. How then can I say that in the judgment our works will not only be the public declaration of the measure of our reward in the kingdom but, in fact, those works will be the public declaration of our salvation, our entering into the kingdom. Now, I'm going to answer the question in two sentences, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the message unpacking that and showing it from Scripture. The answer is that in the judgment, our deeds will be the public evidence brought forth to demonstrate that our faith is real. Say it again. In a courtroom, you need public evidence so that when the sentence is given, it is manifestly glorious and just and right and good. The public evidence that you are vindicated and justified by faith will be your deed. And they will be laid on the table, and when the accuser comes, the lawyer will say, this is the evidence that this person trusted in me when I paid for their sins. And it will not be the works that are the ground or foundation of that salvation. Jesus will be that, and him alone nor will it be the works by which that ground and foundation was owned and appropriated for salvation. That will be faith and faith alone. The works will be the evidence that the faith was real, that we really trusted Christ, that we really loved Christ, that we really turned from idols to serve the living and true God. There are many people who are going to say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we teach in the streets? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you, you evil 
doers. The evidence of whether he knows us will be the works of faith. Now, that's the answer of how you put together Ephesians 2, 8 and 2 Corinthians 5, 10. I was talking with Barnabas last night, testing out my sermon on a 10-year-old, because this is a heavy sermon, to see if I was going to get through. So, heads up, kids, because this is the fruit of my test. Um, it wasn't clicking that you don't earn your salvation with works. The works show that you're saved. And so this is what the Lord brought to my mind. I said, now, does your looking like me or if you grow up to look like me and sound like me, does that make you my son? What makes you my son was born of you. Right. That's what makes you my son. And you're looking like me and sounding like me is evidence to people that you are my son. Got that? Is that gettable? Can a 10 year old handle that? I, I don't know. Some can, some can't, perhaps. But maybe adult 10 year olds can get it. Looking like God, sounding like God, living like God, having a life that's going in the direction of God doesn't make you a child of God. You could never do that if you weren't a child of God. And what makes you a child of God is the grace of God appropriated by faith given freely. Now, I've got another illustration up my sleeve, but I'll close with that one. But try to hang on to that. Now, let me take you to biblical texts that underpin what I'm saying right now. First, we'll go to uh, Paul's writings, and the writings are the teachings of Jesus to show, first of all, why I think the judgment of 2 Corinthians 5.10 is a judgment in which our works will be the declaration of the measure of rewards that Christians receive. Here's the reason. For example, 1 Corinthians 3.8, Paul says, he who plants and he who waters, that is Paul and Apollos, are one. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, that seems to me crystal clear that in the kingdom there are going to be different rewards according to your life and how you've lived it. Here's another one. Ephesians 6, verse 8. Paul says, whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. There it is. Every good thing you do is written down and it's coming back to you a hundredfold in the kingdom. And there will therefore be proportionately different rewards in the coming kingdom. Now, what about Jesus? Did he teach anything like this? The parable of the talents or the parable of the pounds is perhaps the clearest illustration. Remember the parable? I'll give you Luke's version. In Luke's version, the 
leaving of Jesus and the return in judgment is put in a parable by saying there was a nobleman who had ten servants. He gave to each one one pound. This is a little different than the way it's told elsewhere. One pound each. He goes away, tells them, trade while I'm gone and advance my purposes in this city. And that's what Jesus has done to every believer And he's given much to unbelievers for which they will be accountable too. He goes away for a long time and then he comes in judgment. And the first comes and he says, I took your pound and I've made ten pounds more. And the Lord says, you will be given authority over ten cities. The second one comes and he says, I took your pound and I made five pounds in trading with it. And he says, you will be given authority over Five cities. Difference. Five cities. And the third one comes and says, I kept it and didn't lose it. And here is your pound back. And he said, out of your mouth, I will condemn you. Now, what we have in that parable is a statement about the first meaning of the judgment and a pointer into the second meaning. The first meaning of the judgment is there will be a declaration at the judgment of differing levels of faithfulness and the use of what God has given us, and there will be different rewards. And that third man who gave no evidence of prizing what the Lord had given him had no passion for extending the nobleman's cause and purpose, but sat on top of his wealth, is lost. Matthew says he enters into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So at the judgment you have both relative different degrees of reward given to the faithful and you have some who prove that they were not faithful and they are lost. They don't just lose reward, they lose life and everything. Paul taught this same thing. Namely, that there would be loss of life for being faithless. Romans 2, verses 5 to 7. He said, after he referred to the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, he says in Romans 2, 6, God will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will render eternal life. Notice we're not talking about rewards here. But to those who do not obey the truth, he will render wrath and indignation. So what that text says is that the judgment is according to what a person has done. Just like our text says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it accords with what you've done. God will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
And to those who do not obey the truth, wrath and indignation. And several times in the writings of Paul, he lists deeds and says, those who do such things shall not enter the kingdom of God, which simply means that at the judgment, if the evidence laid on the table shows that there's been a lifestyle of sin, that will be the condemnation. You will not enter the kingdom of God. First Corinthians six, nine, Galatians five, twenty one. Instead, a life will be laid on the table. And as James two, twenty six says. The voice crying out from that life will be the faith was dead. The faith was Dead. James 2.26 Faith without works is dead. That's the voice that some will hear at the judgment who've gone to church all their life. Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. And it's the working of iniquity that proves the faith was dead. There was no life. Jesus put it like this. John 529. This is a remarkable verse because when I did my little concordance work on the words good and evil, they're not very common words. The word evil in Second Corinthians 510 is the Greek faulon, not the common word for evil. And so I asked my computer, tell me where all the places are in the New Testament where agathos and phalon are used together, good and evil. There aren't many. But one is remarkable. And it's John 5, 29. It goes like this. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So there's Jesus using the very words of Second Corinthians 5.10, leading me to say to you in the authority of Jesus Christ that the judgment is not simply to determine relative rewards. The judgment is determined whether you pass through judgment into life or whether you pass through judgment into condemnation. And the evidence laid on the table in the courtroom will be good deeds or evil deeds. He says that in John 5:29 even though five verses earlier he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes has eternal life. He who hears my word and believes has eternal life. 
You know, what I want to build with all my heart is a people who take every sentence in the Bible seriously. Because there is today an evangelicalism that gets a hold of not a biblical sentence with a biblical meaning, but a concept, grace, peace, justice, equality, and builds their own theology out of it without any concrete, disciplined, careful attention to God's revealed, inerrant word, line by line. And you can make anything you want out of those words. And I'm pleading with you this morning to listen to all the sentences and then to dig and dig and dig until you see the one unified root that holds it all together. I want you to be that kind of people so that when I drop dead one of these days, you will be strong. You will not be blown over by any false teaching that comes along, spinning out high-sounding phrases about all these concepts. So many preachers preach from concepts instead of biblical texts. I visit them on vacation. I listen on tapes. I read books. And I'm always saying, but what about this verse? What about this verse? What about this verse? Do you care? This is not in text. Let's close the parenthesis. I just, I look out over you and I just get so moved sometimes that you could have such power in this city. You could have such power if a thousand people would become a biblical people who would read your Bibles and long to understand every sentence and took it all seriously and cared how it fit together instead of finding, whoa, I like the word grace. Whoa, I like the word equality. Whoa, I like the word justice. I like the word peace. And then say, hmm, now what does that mean? Well, it would mean, it would have to mean this. And as soon as you say it, you contradict five verses in the Bible. I read it all the time. So that's a plea that you be a biblically saturated people. Now, I'm going to close with my illustration that I said I had up my sleeve just to help you again, maybe catch on to how salvation is by grace through faith, evidenced by works so that when you stand before the judgment, it will not be on the basis of works, but according to works. There's another reason to take the Bible so seriously. Never are we said that our judgment or our salvation will be based on works. It is always according to works. Massive difference. Do you care about words? I care about biblical words. I want not to have my salvation based on my works. I want it to be based on Jesus. But now here's the illustration. You remember the story of Solomon and the two harlots who come before him with one baby And they say, each of them, it's my baby. And the other one says, it's my baby. And they look to him as a judge. Judge now, whose baby is it? And Solomon says, bring me a sword. And we'll cut the baby in half. And we'll give half to one and half to the other. And the true mother says, oh no, King Let her have the baby, and by all means, do not kill it. 
And Solomon says, my judgment is, this is the mother, give her the baby. Now, let me ask you this. The deed that she performed right there, the words that came out of her mouth. Oh, no, don't kill the baby. Did that deed earn the baby? Did that deed buy the baby? Was that deed of corresponding value with the baby? So that Solomon said, okay, you've paid, now I'll pay you. That's not what was going on. You know that. You know what was going on? Solomon wanted some evidence, public evidence of a mother's heart. And he got it. And that's exactly the way you're going to be judged. The deeds of your life are not going to be payment offered to God. Come on now, pay up with salvation. I did deeds for you, now you do a deed for me. It'll never happen that way. God is looking for one thing. The heart of a child. The heart of a trusting child. The deeds of your life are bearing witness whether God is your father, your lover, your guide, your counselor, your savior, your Lord, or whether you are or money is or prestige is. And the deeds will not earn anything. They will simply bear witness to what is within. You don't buy your pardon. Jesus bought your pardon. Your works are an evidence of whether you are enjoying your pardon. And that's what this meal is all about. And I invite you to bow with me now and prepare for communion. Oh, Father in heaven, I pray that as we come to your table now, you will teach your people to have a proper awe and reverence and fear before you. Pray that this message, which has been a, a weighty one, would be liberating because the truth sets free. I pray that any right now who are fretting over the sinfulness of their lives would repent and turn to Christ and hear the message of the communion table as it declares the death of the Lord Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.